started these question and answers sessions first of the year. And after I get some of the questions and I look and wonder why in the world did somebody not stop me from doing that? And uh, this is not one of those. This is not an easy thing to talk about. We've talked about the sovereignty of God and salvation. We've talked about prayer. We've talked about our responsibilities as the church. And we've listened to the word of God and not to the voices of man. We've not leaned on our own experiences, but we've completely and totally submitted ourselves to the authority of the Word of God. And I can't think of a better place to begin tonight, our question and answer section, and our Wednesday evenings that we're going through the psalm, is to go back to a psalm that we read some time ago and to read that scripture as we commit our hearts to the Word of God and to the subject matter of tonight. If you want to turn to Psalm 19, if you would, we're going to pick up our reading in verse 7 of Psalm 19. In the days in which we live, people write books and do a lot of things that are extra biblical, we would call them. Everybody's looking for something else. An experience, an emotion, a rise, or something different than the Word of God. Which in that act is a denial of the sufficiency and authority of the Word of God. As true children of God, we are submitted in our hearts to the obedience that God has called us to, to the sufficiency of the Word of God. And this Psalm 19, there's not a better section of a declaration of the Word of God and its authority in our lives than this section that we read in Psalm 19, beginning in verse 7. The Word of God says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, and then shall I be upright and shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. What a profound section of scripture to read. Considering the word of God, it maybe should read before we ever approach the church. Maybe when we come together and we first get together, maybe we should read that scripture to be reminded of just what it is we're about to do when we read the Word of God and what it means and what it should mean to the heart of everyone gathered. When we do that examination during a time of prayer, this is one of the evidences of it, that it is sweet to us. The Word of God is honey. It's sweet to us, and we desire it. Let's commit our hearts to God and to His Word and His authority tonight again in prayer. Father God, we 
exalt your name. And we're grateful that we can walk in the confidence of your word. That it is truth. And Lord, we pray, Lord, over our hearts and the heaviness that weighs over us for thoughts toward our loved ones and our family that are sick. But our confidence lies in you, the God who has all things in his hands. And tonight we commit our hearts to you and to your word. May the truth be spoken. May the truth penetrate our hearts. And may the truth change us forever. May we be more like you because of the work that you do. As we submit our hearts to your authority. May our hearts be open and teachable to the Holy Spirit. And may you be glorified in our obedience to your word. We give you all praise, all glory, and all honor for you alone are worthy of it all. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. April 18, 1906 marked the beginning of the Pentecostal charismatic movement when a woman claimed to speak in tongues during the Azusa Street Revival, they called it. It was in Los Angeles. Since that time, Pentecostal theologians have claimed that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's poured out that day continues to happen today. There are many questions that come in on the apostolic, what we call the apostolic gifts. And I probably got more on speaking in tongues. And I kind of put it back because uh, it was one of those things that you just assume everybody kind of feels the same about. But recent days have brought it back to my attention because it's one of the first questions I got asked about speaking in tongues. Could you address apostolic gifts or could you address even speaking in tongues? That's what we're going to be looking at tonight. The biblical view of speaking in tongues. Is it biblical and does it continue? The intent is not to bash anybody, not to uh, belittle anyone. But the attempt here is for us to look at the Bible, therefore have the discernment that we've been challenged. Dustin even challenged us to have discernment, that we would have discernment, biblical discernment, over this important issue that is very predominant. In our country, it's very predominant in the world. The past 20 years, more than 60 million people have claimed to obtain their spiritual prayer language. A lot of people look at this and say, how could 600 million people be wrong? Very easy. They speak in tongues. That would be my answer. But we're going to look at the biblical answer, not just my opinion of it. Uh, Spiritual speaking in tongues is right at the very heart of what we call the charismatic movement. We call it Pentecostal. But moreover, they don't always have the name Pentecostal in their name, so we'll call it charismatic. Uh, Some might even call speaking in tongues their cornerstone. Because charismatics push and they put pressure on 
their followers to speak in tongues. They do so by promoting everything from a higher level of salvation, a higher closeness to God, if you would, to the very salvation that they have being in the balance of whether you speak in tongues or not, saying things like, you aren't saved unless you speak in tongues, to that extreme. My next-door neighbor, when I lived in Kingsport, was a 90-year-old lady that still mowed her yard with a push mower. And some of you know the story about her. I've told it before, and I've got to tell it again. She knew we went to church, and she kind of adopted us. as a. She was kind of a next-door grandmother. And her family didn't visit her much. It seems like she would lock herself out of her bathroom a lot of times and then call me to come unlock the door for her just to have somebody to talk to, I think. And I got home from a trip. I don't know where it was. I traveled a lot back in those days for work. And Melinda told me that Miss Hickman was on the phone, wanted me to come over. So she was crying. So we all went over. Me and Melinda and Chandler was just a baby. And her problem was she's locked out of the bathroom, but she was worried about her salvation. She grew up in this age that we have now still, even though she's 90. She's seen a lot of things in 90 years. And she wanted to know, do I speak in tongues? Do I have to do all these other things? What is salvation? Been to church all her life. And at her kitchen table, she wondered what it took to be saved. All the confusion and the chaos that comes from this type of movement. Saying, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. Do I need to speak in tongues? I've never spoken tongues. And she was torp about it. We were able to, to share with her what the scripture says and what the gospel says, which is absent of speaking in tongues. And I think she found peace that day. With God, I really do. She understood. But there's a lot of people like Miss Hickman. They want to know what this means. And, and you may be one of them. Maybe it's not something that's predominant, but maybe it will resurface. Maybe it's something that's in the back of your mind. You just kind of it's just one of those things we're not going to talk about or maybe we're not going to believe in it. But then when you, you're led to Scripture by one of these people that are, I would call them wolves, that begin to present this as truth, they're pretty convincing. They've done their work. They begin teaching their children at a very young age. Their Sunday school material, I actually had a chance to look at some of it while I was looking at this. They really promote this from kindergarten on up. All of the apostolic gifts and mainly the speaking in tongues part. And it's the very heart of what they teach. They use scripture like what's in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 4. You can write it down, I'll read it to you. And it simply states, he that speaks in an unknown tongue builds himself up. And these charismatic people assume here that... This speaking in an unknown tongue builds you up as it's something good. But in context, what Paul's saying here is negative. He's saying that it builds you up. To, if you speak in an unknown tongue or if you speak in this gibberish that, that he was convicting them about, talking to them about, it puffs you up or it causes your ego to be inflated. You get an inflated view of yourself because of this when you do it. He was condemning them for doing it. They've taken it, turned it, twisted it, taken it out of context, 
got one of Eddie Blevins' t-shirts that says, I can do all things through this interpreted or, well, how does it go? I can do all things through a verse out of context. That's it. And they've got the t-shirt. And because it's the Bible and because they're behind the pulpit, a lot of well-meaning people follow that stuff. And their egos get puffed up. And they promote it. Look at us. You need to be like us. You need to speak in tongues and reach this next level or reach the level itself. The gifts are to edify the church. They're not to build you up. They're not for you. They're for the church. All the spiritual gifts. He does, Paul also addressing the Corinthians who had a big mess going on there with these gifts, including speaking in tongues. And he says in verse 12 of chapter 14 that spiritual gifts are for the edification of the church very plainly. Another verse that the charismatics use that I've found, they use a lot in speaking in tongues is 1 Corinthians 14, 14. Two verses later after he told them that it's for the edifying the church. It says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Which really leads you to wonder why in the world they would pick that voice out or that verse out to use. But because it's talking about speaking in a tongue. In the context of the way Paul meant it, he's basically saying don't do it because what's the point in doing it if you don't have understanding? Another scripture they take out of context is 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. Another admonition of Paul. And you've heard this one. And you may have wondered what this really meant. We call it the love section. We went through it. We actually preached through 1 Corinthians. It says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. There's that tongue of angels. And have not charity or love, I've become... As a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal, which is noise. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, I have and I have not charity or love, it profited me nothing. The charismatics have taken that verse to say we need to get our angel language. And speak the language of angels. First off, if you go through scripture, you look, anytime the angel spoke, guess what? They spoke to men. They understood them. There wasn't some special weird, nowhere do you find a special weird language that the angels have. Okay? So if you're going to speak like they did in scripture, you talk like we do. Where other people understand you. The other thing is, is taking this out of context again. Paul's saying, I don't care what you do, if you do all the good things in the world, and if you could speak to angels, and you do that, or you do all these other things, they absolutely mean nothing if you don't have love. And he's trying to get them to God because God is love, and God is the one that gives us love, that we can understand that. It had nothing to do with speaking language, but they've taken it, twisted it, and 600 million people got their language. To speak to angels. So, as we look at this, this is a movement that is not just predominant in our country, but it's flooding other countries. Janet is not here, 
she'll tell you that it's a problem in other countries, that we've now exported this charismatic movement into other countries. And this private prayer language, this heavenly language they talk about, they have to really spiritualize scripture and really distort it to make it mean that. Paul was just hypothetical case. And we have to understand what scripture means and let scripture interpret itself. To the charismatic movement today, the gift of tongues is viewed as a holy, mystical ability that somehow operates in a person's spirit and comes out of their mouth and bypasses their mind. No thinking involved, it, they say. In, in Strange Fire, if you guys were in here when we went through Strange Fire in the King's Academy, it dealt with a lot of this charismatic movement, not just the speaking in tongues, but it dealt with a lot of the views. And in that series, they showed a video clip from TBN, the, the Trinity Broadcast, Broadcasting Network, which is not Christian, by the way. It's charismatic. And the preacher was telling people, demonstrating how to pray in tongues. And, and he told the audience not to think, just to chant and, and just to repeat the sounds that he was repeating. I'll read you what he said. You will be astounded. This is on there. The guy sitting there beside him, TBN, is praising him, doing this stuff. And here's what he said. This is the transcript. He says, if you've never prayed in tongues, if you follow my instructions, the anointing is here to do the rest. I can't do it for you, he said, but I can tell you how to pray in supernatural languages. So you start speaking like a little baby, he says, saying words as fast as you can, humanly possible, parts of words, and begin to pray. And all the supernatural will become natural as you take a step of faith, Peter. I don't know where that came from, where the guy's name he was talking to was Peter, but that's in the transcript. He says, raise your hands to holy God and begin to pray in a language you've never been instructed. And then he begins to just go jibber jabbish. Right in front of everybody. And the guy beside him and all the people in the room are beginning to do this in chaos. It's like, arr, arr, it's like a roar. Okay, You got the picture? And then he starts talking again. He comes back out of the gibberish and says, if you don't move your tongue and speak, no one else will do any. And then he starts doing it again. This chant of a, just gibberish. And he says, I know you don't know what to say. Make little nonsense syllables up. They're not nonsense. But they're the first words coming out of your spirit. And he begins to chant again. Do it faster, faster, I said. You can do it faster than that. If I had a gun to your ribs, you'd do it faster. And he began to jibber-jabber again. Then he goes on, he says, God is operating in the supernatural inlets right now, Pastor. Deaf ears are being opened right now in Jesus' name. Backs are being healed. Ribs. Carpal tunnel, you're healed. Fingers in Jesus' name right now. And then he begins to chant some more. And then he breaks out of it and he says, this is normal. Let the whole world be normal. Is this a harmless practice? I still got carpal tunnel. Still can't hear. <laughs> That's just amazing. And I'm not doing it to make fun of these people, but it is just amazing. And some good people get caught up in this. It's a very dangerous practice 
a former charismatic, I was able to take this quote and I thought I'd put it in my footnote who I got it from. I don't know whether I got this from Stephen Lawson or from John MacArthur, one or the other. I'll tell you later when I look it up again. But he writes this. This guy named Ben Bird writes this, and they were quoting him. It says, To say that speaking in tongues is a harmless practice and is all right for those who want to is an unwise position when information to the contrary is very evident. Speaking in tongues is addictive, he says. He goes on to say the misunderstanding of the issue of tongues and the habit that comes with it, plus the, the psychic high that it brings and the stimulation of the flesh equals a practice that's hard to let go of. He says, but to equate much speaking in tongues with advanced spirituality is to reveal one's misunderstanding of biblical truth and to reveal one's willingness to be satisfied with a deceptive, dangerous counterfeit. Wow. We're to seek God. We just read, seek his word. It's all sufficient. We're to seek it as pure gold. And what the charismatic movement seeks to do is to get our emotions up, to get our desires up, to want something else. More than God. Because what do we do when we begin to look for things outside of the Bible, whether it's speaking in tongues or the healings or any of the other heretical things that are outside the Bible, we look at God and say, you are not enough. Your word is not enough, and you're not enough, God. So let's talk about this a little bit. Let's look. We know it's in the Bible. We know that they spoke in tongues somewhere in here. And maybe you know where. Maybe, I don't know what level you know, but we're going to study this together as if we were in, a, in, a, in the little Bible study room where we have so many classes and we do Bible study. We'll do that together in here tonight. And let's look at this deal with biblical views of the gifts of tongues tongues are only mentioned in three books of the bible they're mentioned in mark once in chapter 16 verse 17 they're mentioned four times in acts acts chapter 2 acts chapter 10 acts chapter 11 and chapter 19 and then we were just looking at some of the misconceived or misinterpreted scripture from 1 Corinthians which also addresses the other side of the view not proper but a condemnation or a correction for those who were doing it wrong the only three books where tongues are mentioned so let's look first at the book of Acts Acts chapter 2. If you want to turn to Acts chapter 2, turn there. We'll read through some scripture, about eight verses, and just take a look at what it says. Making note as you're turning there that every time speaking in tongues occurred in the book of Acts, it's referring not to gibberish like this guy was doing and others do. And if you've ever been in one of those services, I have, a long time ago as a young man, that gibberish that makes no sense and every time it's mentioned in the book of Acts, in all the four accounts, it's a known language. It's not gibberish. It's a known language. And we will see that. Let's read Acts chapter 2, verse 1. The day of Pentecost. Jesus has ascended. They're preaching. The church is just beginning. This is the church starting right here. 
Verse 1 says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as if a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared in them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all of these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue where we were born? So here we have a case. And every time it speaks about this, this is not gibberish. This is not babbling. This is a known language. It's not like what we see today in this charismatic movement of speaking in tongues. The known language. The word here in Acts 2, and it's used in the other places in Acts, is G-L-O-S-S-A, glossa. It means language, not gibberish. And it's obvious from that that they were hearing in their own language. It wasn't angel talk. It wasn't some esoteric language. It says they heard them in their own dialects is the word. It's dialectos is the word used there. They heard them in their own language. Every time that they're speaking in tongues in the book of Acts... The reason it's here these four times is to validate the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to the believer for the New Testament church. It's validating the formation of the church. It's a testimony of God. Speaking in tongues was a way God affirmed these events to the church and to those around. Turn to Acts chapter 10. Let's look at that. He's validating Pentecost. This is the church. This is my church. God shows up miraculously with this tongues of fire, the speaking in tongues, a known language. In Acts chapter 10, verse 34, I'm not going to read that part. Peter preaches. He shares the gospel. Verse 44, we pick up our reading in Acts 10. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on, on, on them that which were heard the word. And they of the circumcision would believe, were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured the gift of the Holy Ghost, for they heard them speak in tongues and magnify God. This is the validation of the Gentiles becoming part of the church. In Acts chapter 11, verse 15, Cornelius and his household to validate this part of the, the part of the church as well. Peter says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. Talking about Pentecost, they spoke in tongues, just like it was in the beginning. Glossos, the same thing. Unknown language. And over in Acts 19. Verse 4, 
Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about twelve. All of these events in the book of Acts are recorded as a validation of God showing up to validate the church. Nowhere do we see the command for it to continue. Nowhere do we see the need for it to continue. There were special instances in the forming of the church. They were speaking in languages that they understood. Now let's look at 1 Corinthians. The church in Corinth was a mess. And those who went through the series we went through here on Wednesday nights some time ago. You remember just what kind of a mess they were. They had abused all the spiritual gifts in so many different ways. Paul's writing them a letter now saying, we need to fix all this. And he begins to talk to them and reason with them. And he addresses speaking in tongues. And we have to look at this address. We have to realize he is correcting them. This is not saying, hey, we, I, I like what you're doing there. It's not a condonement of it. He is correcting them. It's a context. They were pr- practicing this tongue gibberish, much of what we see in today's, uh, in today's movement in an ungodly way. And they were doing it in such a way that it was designed to bring attention to the person that was doing it, not attention to God or glorify God. It was solely for that person to be glorified, which is what we see in the movement today. It's all about you, and you need to do this. They put so much pressure on people that they do it, and people confess they do it just to make the people shut up and leave them alone. In his correction, or in this, we see a a direction or a template that he gives them. It says, okay, if you're going to do this stuff, if you're going to speak in tongues, he gives them this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 27. You've probably read it, I know you know it. It says, if anyone speaks in a tongue or known language, it should be done by two or at the most three, each in turn, and one must interpret, not chaos. This is very orderly. He said, but if there's no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. The Corinthians heard that and they're like, we blew this. We didn't do this. We haven't done this. And neither does that resemble anything that happens in in the charismatic movement. Have you ever been in a church service when they do that or watched one? Everybody does it at the same time. And they say, well, God can understand. He'll separate all that stuff. But he doesn't say to do it that way. If these restrictions were followed today by what we call the charismatic movement, they would be silent in the church. It's like what it says. Every one of them. There would be complete silence when it comes to the speaking in tongues. 
because it's gibberish. Gibberish. Baby talk. And some guy wanting to put a gun to your head, that's just insanity. On fire. Some would even say it's demonic. I don't think it has to be demonic because our hearts are desperately wicked. We don't need the devil's help near as much as what we think we do. We can devise stuff like that on our own. But clearly in the scripture, he said in this section, if someone speaks in a known language, a foreign language is what he's talking about here. If someone speaks in another language, something you don't understand, there needs to be an interpreter for a lot of different reasons. If someone got up here and started preaching in Russian and they expected you to say amen, would you say amen? I was in a church once and they had a man from, I don't remember where he was, somewhere in the Ukraine, I think. And he began to pray. They got him up to pray in church. How nice that was. He prayed in a foreign language. Guess what? I didn't pray. Nobody interpreted it. I had no idea. He could have been praying to Satan. I don't know. You see? It needs to be interpreted. We need to know what we're saying. It needs to be an order to it. God does not promote chaos. If you're in a church and there's a group of people speaking in tongues all at once and nobody's interpreting any of it, then you're in a place where they're doing stuff the wrong way. It's not biblical. It's not of God. And if they're doing it that way, then they're outside the biblical parameters. Some of these charismatic churches teach that if you're saved, your salvation will be evidenced by your speaking in tongues. And they began to pressure people and push them. Almost to the point, some that came out of the movement called it almost a, a bullying of them. As I said before, some will just do it just to make the people hush and leave them alone. To others, they do it because they're almost brainwashed into it. And there's a euphoric feeling that comes from doing it. Because they've relieved this pressure, this great pressure. I want it, I want it because sincerely believing they needed to do it. And it's false. All believers do not speak in tongues. Even in apostolic time, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 12, because they were doing this to these people in the church, he says, all do not have the gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak in tongues, do they? The, that's a rhetorical question. The answer is no, they don't. Our view is that these have ceased. These were gifts given in the, apostle, the apostles' age. We read a lot of times 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. Same section on love says, love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. And if there are tongues, they will cease, it says. These were apostolic gifts. There are no apostles today. Although a lot of the... I guess the word of faith, the new, new the NAR, they are all calling themselves apostles. Some of the women are calling themselves apostles. There's all kinds of heresy out there. You can find about what you want. And it's on fire. It's on TV. And it's all over the world. And millions of people are following it. These people are extremely wealthy promoting this stuff. Because people are looking for something else other than God. 
We often use that example when people are in alcohol. We say, oh, they're looking for something other than God. Some don't go all the way to the bottle. They just go to these heretics because they're wanting something else. Today, this gift of tongues has no resemblance to a biblical view of speaking in tongues other than the word tongue. And I can't remember who I heard preach that. I borrowed that from somebody. Sounds like something that Vody Bauckham would say. That it could have been Stephen Lawson. And it's for the edification of the church. How does it edify the church when everybody's praying in chaos? They even get into barking. This promotes this barking, this laughing, and this falling down, and all this other crazy stuff that happens inside these speaking in tongue events that they have at their churches. And now they've moved it over, and I've even heard some good men like John Piper say, I'm praying for my prayer language. don't see it in scripture Mr. Piper he's a lot smarter than I am and a better preacher than I ever hoped to be and a whole lot smarter and you wonder what happens that makes people go toward this it's a draw for something else wanting more when we're saved we're saved to the uttermost we're given all spiritual gifts are available to us we have the word of God and people neglect the Word of God. And maybe some people like Piper who have such a well-knowledge of the Word of God think, well, I need more than that because I've already memorized this. I don't know. I can't. He ain't speak for himself. He'll answer for that to God. But the Bible doesn't show anywhere. If you look at when 1 Corinthians was written, Paul wrote so many epistles on the order of the church beyond that, after that. None of which contain anything about tongues. No direction to Timothy. No direction to the church about tongues. Only to this church who had messed it up royally. Nowhere else does it say, hey, you need to be doing this. This is really important. We just don't see it. It's not, the, it's not biblical. Church history does not show this. The beginning of the church. Augustine, who was considered the father of the early church. Around... Between 300 and 400, the year 300, 400, that's very close to Christ. Within a couple hundred years, he wrote this about it in the church. In the earliest times, the Holy Spirit fell on them that believed, and they spoke with tongues which they had not learned as the Spirit gave them utterance. That thing was done for a sign, and it passed away, he said. This is the early church. In the year 300. You come all the way up to Martin Luther. And the Reformation. He wrote this about tongues. He said the visible outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Was necessary in the beginning. To the establishment of the early church. As were also the miracles. That accompanied the gift of the Holy Ghost. Once the church had been established. And properly advertised by these miracles. The visible appearance of the Holy Ghost. ceased, Or ceased. John Calvin says the gift of healing, like the rest of the miracles, which the Lord willed to be brought forth for a time, has vanished away in order to make the preaching of the gospel marvelous forever. Jonathan Edwards, who's considered 
one of the smartest men who ever lived still to this day and one of the best preachers who ever preached said of these extraordinary gifts they were given in order to the founding of the establishing of the church in the world but since the canon of scriptures has been completed and the Christian church fully founded and established these extraordinary gifts have ceased The Prince of Preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, says, Those earlier miracles and gifts have departed from us. And B.B. Warfield writes, These gifts were distinctly the authentication of the apostles. They were part of the credentials of the apostles as the authoritative agents of God in the founding of the church. Their function thus confined them to distinctly the apostolic church, not the by name that we see today, but the church of the apostles, establishing the church, and they necessarily passed away with it. The miraculous working, which is but the sign of God revealing power, cannot be expected to continue, and in point of fact does not continue, after the revelation of which it is accompaniment had been completed. The Bible says these have ceased. Church history says it ceased. Some ladies started speaking in tongues at some revival in California, and we have a mess that we seem to be suffering in the middle of. And you ask people what Christianity is today, they don't turn to what we teach. They look at that stuff. That's what the church is. What lies at the foundation of the charismatic movement is the experience overrides truth. What I feel is more important than what I know. What I'm experiencing is more important than anything that book says because I know what I feel and I don't care what that says. You may not say that, but that's what you're saying when you deny the truth that's contained within it and you live according to experience. People feel they, they felt it, and I like it, and it leads me to God, so it must be all right. And how could 600 million people be wrong? It's more than 600 million now. How many million people did Hitler lead off on the wrong tangent? Were they right? I don't think so, were they? We began with Psalm 19, saying the law of the Lord is perfect and the sufficiency of Scripture. By accepting things like speaking in tongues as a continuance, even healing, like the Benny Hinn Ministries, some of the other miraculous gifts that you see, speaking things into existence, is denying the sufficiency of the Word of God. The verses that we usually go to in the New Testament says all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and profitable for doctrine, for reproof and for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be perfect, not perfect as we can be perfect, but be righteous, be a true Christian, a believer walking the walk, and that we be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So to answer the question, that was asked in so many different ways. 
to address the speaking in tongues, does it continue? It does not continue. There is no biblical foundation for it to continue. There is, however, a foundation in the heretical world of word of faith and new apostolic revolution, all that stuff, and the people you see on TV to promote it for their own gain, yes. For people that want this extreme experience, yeah. But if you're going to be a true Christian, you're going to follow the word of God, it does not continue. And I hope that helps you with your discernment. If you've got any questions, submit those to Stan. He said amen once while I was preaching, so... But really, it, it, it's just not there. It's really not. And I pray that you understand. If you don't have understanding, I, 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 I still have conversation with you. But let's commit our hearts to God in prayer once again. And pray for our loved ones that are, that are sick. I know some may even be watching right now. Wishing they were here. We miss them. Wish they were here with us. And let's lift our hearts to God. Father God, we 